Today's scripture is from the book of Matthew, the second chapter, the 16th through the 18th verses. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all of the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentations, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. This is the word of God for the people of God. Earlier this week, I did something that was unusual for me. I went to the website for Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. I did it because of this meme that I have seen. Maybe you've seen it on Facebook or Twitter. Let's put that up, Abby, for folks to see. It says, and just like that, my pastor became a televangelist, which uh, made me laugh. And I say, thank goodness that's not actually true. But uh, it got me thinking, now, what is it that real televangelists are doing right now? So a minute later, I was there watching Joel Osteen's Easter service. Now, if you don't know who Joel Osteen is, don't worry about it. He's a televangelist. He also normally has like 30,000 people in church in a former NBA arena down there in Houston. And sure enough, when I looked, he was up there preaching to an empty room. Granted, a much bigger empty room than the one we have right here, but just as empty. And as I watched, I was really struck by his tone. Two weeks ago, as he was preaching, he said things like, I believe our best days are ahead of us. God's going to bring us to a new day. No matter how you're struggling, God is ready to lift you up and put your feet on a rock to bring you into a bright future. Now, that's not maybe exactly what he said, but that was the gist of it. Things like that. A whole lot of positive talk, a whole lot of hope, a whole lot of future is going to be great. He puts his arms up like this a lot. There's just a lot of positivity that he's radiating forward all the time, on and on. And that, that's good. That's fine. That's even biblical. I have said some stuff like that myself in the last few weeks. We can find messages throughout the Bible pulling us toward hope, pulling us toward a vision of the future. But as I listen to him go on and on and on with this big, bright smile that he always wears and loads of positivity, I thought, you know, the Bible actually also offers us something else. Alongside positive thinking and a bright future, interwoven with all those messages of hope that we find in the scripture, the Bible also offers us something else, something real, something that's needed. The Bible gives witness that sometimes the most helpful act of faith is not being filled with positivity and cheer. Sometimes the most helpful act of faith is to be filled with lamentation. You know, it turns out that living through a pandemic is kind of an emotional roller coaster. Have you discovered that? One day can be filled with gratitude for our cozy homes. The next day we can be filled with fear about the health of a loved one. 
Next day we wake up and we experience joy at the kindness of a neighbor. And the next day we're stuck worrying about the impact of the economy. And then there's the weariness of maybe trying to stay busy while we're at home or perhaps having way too much to do, trying to juggle work and the school for kids and six different Zoom meetings on a day. And all that's before we even listen to the news. It's just up and down and up and down. That's how my weeks have been. Each week exhausting, even if we don't know somebody in the hospital or somebody who is sick. I saw a few expressions of this on Twitter this week that I grabbed for us. Maybe you can resonate with one of these. Let's see that first tweet. Just says, does anyone else think this is hard? I feel like this is really hard. Simple, yeah. Then the next one, a little corgi, maybe expressing what some of us have felt. I don't know if you can see, he's like laying, sacked out on his bed. And the tweeter said, same, Teddy, same. Like, I'm right there with you, man. Just sometimes you got to just be upside down. Now, as universal as those feelings are, as I've talked to people throughout the weeks, I've noticed something, church members and such, that there's a tendency for people to want to brush off the hard parts and go back to reciting what's good or all the ways that they feel blessed. I've done it myself. I say, oh, I'm fine. We're fine. And Matt and I really are fine. But they might say, you know, thanks for asking, but, but I just feel so badly for the people who are really hurting in this chaos. And then the person that I'm talking to goes on to mention children in poor homes who don't have enough to eat or exhausted hospital employees or small business owners who have had to shutter their business. They, we try to minimize our own suffering by pointing to somebody who's suffering more than we are. In a way, that's okay because empathy is an act of faith. It's always an act of faith and we want to keep perspective. But there's another way in which that isn't okay to the extent that we use it to deflect or deny or push aside whatever pain or sadness we're feeling. We have to feel our feels, you guys. We have to feel our feels. We have to do it for our own help. We have to do it for our ability to help other people. We have to feel our feelings. And to do so is not weak. It's actually faithful. And so to encourage us to this this morning, I want to talk today about a biblical word, lamentation. This is week two of our sermon series, Words to the Wise, where we're exploring biblical words that are gifts to us in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. Last week, we talked about refuge. This week, lamentation. This is a key concept that we find in the Bible from Genesis all the way to the book of James. It's everywhere found in the writings of the prophets. And really, we can't turn over a page of the Psalms without finding some words of lamentation. There's even an entire book in the Bible called Lamentation not have known that. There's an entire book that's called Lamentation, and it is the saddest, darkest, most mournful poetry that you will ever read. Now, I expect that you have a good sense about the, what the words lament or lamentation mean, even though they're probably not something you use in everyday conversation. It means, of course, intense feelings of grief or loss or regret or sadness, but it means more than just feeling badly. Lamentation actually means crying out to God in pain. The word itself connotes prayer. That means lamentation is actually not a feeling, it's an action. We feel sad, and one of the things we can do when we feel sad is to lament, meaning that we share our feelings of sadness and pain and loss. We share them with God. Lamentation in the biblical sense is always an act of prayer. In the Bible, people don't lament to each other. They lament to God, always to God. Lamentation is not about sitting around complaining to our friends. It's about expressing our pain, our hurt, our grief to the one who is best able to understand 
and to bring peace. Lamentation is always directed to God, our sustainer and our creator. Now, lamentation can be private. It can be personal. And we see plenty of that kind of lamentation in the Psalms. For instance, Psalm 13 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? That's a personal, a private lamentation. But oftentimes in the scriptures, lamentation isn't private at all. It's not individual. Instead, it's communal. It's shared. It's something done together. So I said, we don't lament to each other, but we can lament with each other, with each other. And often lamentation in the scripture is about grief that's experienced as a community, not just a personal loss. I think this is so important for us to hold on to because as a country and as Christians in America, so often we do a terrible job of being able to lament together. Consider the verse that we read for today. It's one that always pulls at my heart. And it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, from one of the most terrific moments in that book. I want you to think back to the birth story of Jesus in that gospel. At some point after Jesus is born in Bethlehem, wise men, you remember, come from the east to bring him gifts. And in order to find Jesus, they go and they talk to Herod, who's the Roman governor of the province. They need to figure out what's going on. And this tips Herod off that there is a powerful opponent somewhere in his territory. Herod finds out that there's a baby somewhere near, important enough to get gifts from foreign dignitaries, and Herod is not about to let that child grow up in peace. So Herod does the unthinkable. After the wise men leave, Herod orders that all the baby boys under two years of age in Bethlehem be killed. And it's done. I can't even imagine what that process was like. I don't want to imagine it. But I can imagine the grief can't you, of the mothers and the fathers and the grandparents and the aunties and the neighbors, the entire community knowing they were powerless to stop it, knowing it was needless. Jesus and his family had already fled to Egypt, yet watching the slaughter happen right before their very eyes. And if you think, oh, that story sounds impossible, I want to encourage you to go and find some reading about any genocide that's happened in the world in the last 50 years. The cruelty that we can offer to one another as human beings really has no bounds. So to express the heart-rending sorrow of the community, Matthew, the gospel writer, he quotes a verse from the prophet Jeremiah. It comes from Jeremiah 31:15, And it says, A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled, because they are no more. Now this quote takes the reader, and especially those first Jewish readers of Matthew's gospel, it takes us back in time to the year 597 BCE. That was the year that Israel conquered the Babylonian Empire 600 years before Jesus. And and that moment was awful in the history of the nation. It was an awful war, and the Babylonians besieged the city of Jerusalem in order to conquer it. They put a siege around it, and that's actually what's described in the awful poems of the Book of Lamentations. It was terrible. 
People were starving in the streets. People were so sick. People were so desperate. And eventually the city fell. And not only was the beautiful capital city of the nation of Israel ransacked and the temple was destroyed, the population, much of it was rounded up and taken off into exile in Babylonia. Israel was defeated. And then they were forced to leave their homes, marched to a foreign land, and made to stay there. The people sent to exile, they gathered at a town called Ramah before they were taken to Babylonia. And to describe the grief of the nation, the grief of the land itself at losing its people, the prophet Jeremiah evokes the memory of Rachel, Rachel who was the favorite wife of Jacob. And this is a story that we find clear back in the book of Genesis, toward the beginning of the story of the nation of Israel. Jacob, you might remember, he's considered the father of Israel, and he had 12 sons, and they became the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Rachel was one of his wives, his favorite wife. And for a long time, she was unable to have children at all, and Jacob's other wives were busy populating the family. But eventually, Rachel gave birth to two sons, to Joseph and then to Benjamin. And the descendants of Benjamin settled in an area of Israel, including Ramah, and Rachel's grave is not very far away from there. So when the prophet says, Rachel is weeping, he's invoking this great matriarch of the nation. He's bringing to mind the ancestors, all the ancestors who lived and struggled and died to make the family prosper and grow. He's invoking all the promises that God had given to the family and the nation through the generations. He's calling to mind all the mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers who, were, who would be so distraught with grief, seeing their nation come crashing down and the people carted off into exile away from God's promised land. The prophet says, a voice is heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be consoled because they are no more. And then when the gospel writer Matthew picks up this quote, he means to invoke all that same history, all that same struggle, and all that same love. He imagines the whole community, the whole blessed history of the ancestors beset with grief when innocent baby boys die because Herod is determined to eliminate the threat around him. It's a powerful, it's a shared crying out and lamentation to God that stretches through time and space. Now Matthew uses that quote about Rachel to make plain just how horrifying this moment is for Bethlehem for the whole nation and and what I appreciate is he doesn't make any kind of quick turn to hope after that he doesn't in any way promise that everything is going to be okay he lets the voice of Rachel he lets the voice of lamentation just sit there and say what it needs to say the next thing that we read gives us a gap of several years it says after the death of Herod And then Matthew goes on to tell his story. Rachel's voice isn't quieted by someone trying to make her feel better or the community feel better. Her lamentation just stands there as an enduring witness to pain and grief of the moment. A lamentation, this is what it does. It helps us be in touch with our deepest grief. It gives us the opportunity to be real and honest about the hardness of a moment or a season. 
It doesn't leave us to make excuses about feeling bad. It doesn't have us look immediately for the rainbow in the sky or the lesson that we've learned. It's just a way for us to express our grief and pain and loss to God in a moment and let the trueness and the hardness of that experience sit there. The Bible's witness to lamentation, it reminds us that God is ready to hear and receive even our hardest feelings our deepest pains, and that people of faith don't have to push away their sadness or ignore their grief. We can offer them up to God, trusting that God hears, that God understands, that God knows, and that God is the one who can help in our moments of deepest need. We need that most powerful and faithful reminder, and to remember that the most powerful and faithful people in the Bible offer up lamentation. Lamentation is not whining. It takes real strength. It takes real strength to sit and be sad. But we struggle with it. I see it all over the place during this pandemic. We struggle to admit our negative feelings that we're experiencing, but it's not that the pandemic has revealed something new to us about American culture in general. We don't really know what to do with feelings of pain or loss. And if you've ever experienced a hard loss or especially a hard death in your life, then you have probably experienced this firsthand, how much people struggle to accept the sadness and loss. I I have a really dear friend who lost her mother unexpectedly about six years ago. And she told me in the weeks after that she was astounded at all the weird and awkward and silly things that people said to her when they found out that her mother had just died. Maybe they would offer some platitude or they would smile kind of uncomfortably and mutter, I'm sorry, and then try to move the conversation along. One friend wrote to her and said, you know, we know just how you feel. We had to put our dog down yesterday. Now, losing a dog can be sad, terribly sad. I cried many tears when I have put a dog down. But that is not the same to me as telling the nurse to turn off the ventilator that's keeping your mother alive. People just didn't know what to do with her pain and her loss. It seemed so rare to find folks who would say, this must be so hard. I'm sad with you. I'm praying for you. Those are words of lamentation. That's a voice that says, I feel this depth with you, and I'm willing to sit here with you and not rush you away off of the sadness. I don't need to brush it off or move past it or talk about something happy or try to make you feel better right this instant. I'm not so scared of the hard thing that I won't sit here for a while with you while you cry. That's what it means to lament with someone. Now, we're in another transition moment in this pandemic. For the most part, we've moved past that initial adrenaline crisis that we all had when news first hit and we began to understand all the changes that this would create. We've endured this hunkering down in our homes for six weeks, and and this phase uh, has had different stresses and different strains for different people. We know that, but I think for very few people has every day been an easy day. Now we're starting to see some glimpses of what the next phase of life might look like as the world starts to reopen. And and with this change on the horizon, what we can see is there's a whole new round of fear and tension and difficulty and loss coming our way. Six weeks ago, we might have thought that life would be returning to normal or close to normal whenever things began to reopen and restrictions were lifted. I know that's what I was thinking, at least in the middle of March. That's what I imagined, but we can see now that is not at all true. We can see that there's going to be a lot of tension 
over how things reopen and when they reopen, a lot of accusations about who's being reckless and who's being wise, and that we're gonna be living with safety precautions that we could not have imagined a year ago. We're gonna be living with those for a very long time. And so this moment invites for us a whole new layer of uncertainty and anxiety and loss. I keep thinking about, when is it gonna be safe for me to hug my mother again? I can't wait a year to do that. So how can I do that in a responsible way, in a way that's good for both of us? So what I'm saying is, if in the next week you wake up with some tightness in your chest, if in the next week you wake up and and you realize you just have this sense of dread about the day ahead, if you find yourself with a moment of weariness or heaviness, even if everything around you immediately is okay, it's, it's okay that you feel that way. It's real. It's normal. We're in a hard moment, individually and collectively. And the heart of it is not going to disappear, even when we can all go get our hair cut again. So when you find yourself feeling like that next, what I want to invite you to do is to write out a prayer of lamentation to God. Writing it out is a, is a good and a physical way to embody the moment of grief. You don't have to keep it. You can tear it right up after you're done. You don't have to show it to anybody. Just write down your prayer of sadness and what it is that has you worried or anxious. Say to God, I know that you hear me, God, and I know that you understand, and I offer up this prayer of pain to your gracious will, and I trust you. That's enough. You don't have to end it with thoughts that are happy and hopeful and bright. You don't have to tell God even that you know everything will be okay. You can just be sad, and you can share that sadness with the one who made you and the one who loves you without end. God is always ready to receive our lamentations, to receive them with love. Thanks be to God. Amen.